It is a beautiful, beautiful morning, and so we're very, very grateful to God for this beautiful morning. Well, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name's Tara, and I head up the Families and Kids Ministry at Northridge Baptist. And we have our young adults away this weekend. They have gone up to Airly Beach, and they are doing a retreat there, so we're a little bit down. We've also got, it's the long weekend, and I think a lot of families are away, because they know Tuesday is coming. <laughs> they know what happens on Tuesday, do they not? Yes, I am past that, and I must say, my daughter graduated from year 12 last year, and I drive by the school and I clap every single time I do. So, um, but our families are celebrating this last weekend together, and so we just want to um, pray that they have a really safe time, wonderful time over this weekend. And as we go into God's Word, I just want to ask God to have His blessing upon His Word this morning. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you so much that you give us your word to guide us. Your word is powerful, it's active, it's relevant, and it speaks to us every single day. So Lord, as your word goes forth this morning and what you've laid heavily upon my heart, I pray, oh God, that you will penetrate, Holy Spirit, the hearts and the minds and that we will hear from you today, Lord. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise in thy precious and holy name. Amen. I also want to welcome those people that are joining us online as well. Just acknowledge them. So, can you see my title? A lot of you are going, what? Guilty Christian. The guilty Christian. What do you mean, the guilty Christian? Are we not saved by grace? I thought when we gave our hearts to the Lord, we had no more guilt. And that is true. That is true. This week, I have the opportunity to preach on any topic I wanted to. When I was in Bible college, um, one of my lecturers used to say, you could take anywhere in the scripture and you can preach on it. So when you have the opportunity to preach on anything, you have got to understand that's a really hard thing. To say, Lord, what is it that you want to speak about this week? We just finished a two-week series with Pastor Gary on um, angels, and that was absolutely incredible. Really enjoyed that series. I want to encourage you to go online and listen to that series. You don't often hear in church the discussion about angels. This coming series, starting next week, we will be starting our series on Love Your Neighbor. And I think it's there we need to start. So I'm going to try this. It works. Okay. So the greatest commandment in Matthew 22 I want to start here because if we're going to love our neighbor, we have to see the whole of this greatest commandment. The Pharisees asked Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So as we move into the series of love your neighbor, I want to take this morning just to reflect on the first part of this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, I want you to just think here with me. It's January 1st. What do we do on January 1st? What does everybody want to do on January 1st? New Year resolution. Absolutely. So it's January 1st. You're sitting there. You've got your cup of coffee. 6 a.m. in the morning, 7, 8, 9, depending on when you get up. Mothers, you're there at 4 a.m. in the morning. You got your cup of coffee. You got your Bible, doing good. And you got your year plan about reading the Bible in an entire year. There it is. You're going to do it this year. This is the year you're going to read through the entire Bible in a year. So you're thinking there as you're sitting, you're going, well, last year I tried, and I tried to go from Genesis to Revelation, and you know, it just didn't work. So you know what? This year, I'm going to do it chronologically. Now, for those of you who don't understand how the Bible is actually put together, the Bible is put together according to the type of literature it is. So for example, you go from Genesis through to Esther, and that's the historical part of the book. Then you go from Job to the Song of Solomon, and that those books are mainly on poetry. And then you go from Isaiah to Malachi, and those are all on prophecy. So when you read from Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't really follow, and it's really hard to follow. So people often read the Bible chronologically, the one-year Bible. And it takes you through chronologically. And it shows you how the events occur. So it kind of comes together a little bit easier. So this year, this year, you're going to read it chronologically. And you start well. You do it good. Full intention to do the devotions well. You have put the list on your task list for the day. Priority number one. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to read my Bible. It's just where it should be. And you tick the box and you feel really good about it. Well done. By week three, you're struggling. Yeah, things are getting a little bit harder here, and you find your mind wandering, and you've slept in, or you get distracted, or you continue to get interrupted by the little pitter-patter of feet. I used to get up to do my devotions in the morning, and I don't know, it was just like this alert in my daughter's head to just go, I'm up too. Didn't matter how silent I was, the little pitter-patter of feet came. So you miss one day, and then you miss another. And before you know it, you've fallen so far behind that you don't even want to look at the Bible. You feel guilty. You feel this shame. And then the negative chatter starts. The negative chatter about not completing the one task you set out to do each morning. Got to be that terrible Christian, aren't you? You know, you're not like that other person in church. Man, did you hear how they prayed? Wow. They're so spiritual. 
You know, what about that other person, you know, who's always volunteering and you just can't seem to find the time? You are a guilty Christian. You feel this. You feel so bad you haven't returned to reading your Bible because, my goodness, you failed. Remember at the beginning when we read Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37? And it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you've just identified to yourself that you have failed. You tried, but you failed. This morning, I wanted to take us on a journey into the book of Galatians. We don't have much time to go through this entire book. And the problem is, is we really need to go through the entire book. So I'm going to kind of surface scrape along and hope that I can bring it all together to show you that we do, if we can do Christianity better in a completely different light than we do in our minds now. Chris Langham from um, Through the Word really summarizes Galatians really beautifully. He said, Galatians is a passionate defense of true Christianity. Paul fights to defend our freedom in Christ. And Galatians is about Christians who, according to chapter six, chapter 1, verse 6, are deserting God. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You know, Paul said they were deserting the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. What does he mean by this? Galatians 1 referred to people who have come into the church and are confusing the Galatians and are perverting the gospel of Christ. So back in Galatia, in the, in the time of the Galatians, um, people were coming into the church and they were perverting what the gospel was. And you'll get to understand a little bit more as we go on. As, I, as, as a church... I don't think we have people that are coming into the church perverting it. I think what we do is we have time that is perverting our time with Christ. We are perverting the gospel of Christ. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I not trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people then I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, your human side, your fleshy side, loves to tick boxes. Because we live in a really busy world, we have to have things established and set out so that we can do one task after another to another to another. And unfortunately, we set unrealistic goals for ourselves. And some of those are that we need, we read this, um, we long to read the Bible each and every day, but we make it a task. It's not something we want to do. It's something we have to do. We have now changed serving Jesus into a task. You know, when I was in Bible college, 
One of the big things in Bible college was to pray for an hour. And that all came around from the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus, just the night before, he was, he went, he was betrayed and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying because he knew what was ahead of him. And he went to his disciples and he said, could you just pray with me? And he would go away and he would pray to his father and he'd come out and the disciples would be fast asleep. He said, could you not pray with me for just one hour? And so a lot of times as Christians, that's what we do. And that's what I used to do at Bible colleges. I'd set my little clock up, my little hour, and I'd set it as a task. And I would pray. And I would sit there and I would pray. And my mind would go this way and this way. And then I'd come back. And I would pray. And I would really, really try and pray. And I know God honored that. But in my mind, I set it as a task. It's not a list that keeps you disciplined or a rule of law you have to follow. Because if you do set it like that, you feel condemned when you fail. Do you not? Like, I mean, when you don't follow through with reading that Bible in the entire year, you feel condemned. You feel like you failed God. The laws that I set for myself didn't bring me joy. They didn't bring me happiness. And this is what Paul was referring to in the Galatians. These were faith-filled Christians. These were people who knew what it was to find the freedom in Jesus Christ. They got it. They saw it. They experienced it. And they traded it in for a lie. So let me ask you something this morning. How does a vibrant church turn into dead religious, relig, religion, religion? How does having freedom in Christ turn into a joyless, judgmental set of rules and rituals? The Bible tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why do we make our souls so burdened? Somewhere our Christian faith for some of us has taken a turn to the have-tos. We have to. We've turned our walk with Christ into a task. We've put it into our to-do list. And funny thing about doing that is it actually gives us more to do. I'm sure I'm one of many that are sitting here this morning that think to themselves, if somebody asks me today, how was your week? I am not going to tell them that it was busy. That's not going to be my response. My response is going to be, oh, it was a great week. And the first thing that comes out of your mind is, oh, man, it was a busy week. It was so busy. Life is just crazy. If life is crazy, Our Christian expectations 
And what we want as a Christian, we try and fit into that. Our prayer life, our Bible reading, our volunteering, loving our neighbor, the list goes on and on and on. We try and fit it into our busy life. Have we somehow exchanged the freedom that we have in Jesus and made all these things that we draw to draw us closer to God into legalism? Could it be? Could we have become legalistic? Have we moved them into the category of the things we have to do to be a good Christian rather than the things we want to do because we love Jesus? Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we turn our Christian walk into something of a legality, like a legal thing, that's something we have to do, then what was the point of Jesus dying for us? Because Jesus' death was that of grace. Jesus' death was a gift for you and for me. The law here that Paul is referring to in the Galatians was, was a ritual that the Jewish people had to adhere to. For example, in the Old Testament, they had to keep the Sabbath. They had certain ceremonies that they had to do. It had, they had to dress a certain way. There was food that they had to eat. These were the laws that they had to do to please God. They had to do these laws. When Christ came and died, he freed the Jewish people from this, this list of to-dos, and he paid the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price so that we didn't have to have to-do lists anymore. In Romans 16, we see Paul encounter the Galatians for the first time. So first time, if you go back into Romans, that's where Paul first encountered the Galatians. They were excited when they heard about Jesus. They were excited that Jesus died on the cross of sins. They got it. They got their freedom through Jesus Christ. They were no longer attached to the Old Testament law. Their salvation was no longer based on what they had to do. It was now based on the grace that Jesus gave. How he, however, here in Galatians, Paul is questioning them and their understanding of their faith. And people, and as I mentioned before, the people had infiltrated into the Galatian church. His challenge to the Galatians is, is to us as well. When we move our Christian life into the have-to category, we completely remove the grace of Christ. We start working for our salvation. We have to read the Bible. We have to pray. We have to. We have to. A couple of weeks ago, Olivia Mewitt was baptized. How many got to see Olivia baptized? Such a beautiful, beautiful baptism. Go back and look on it online. 
September 18th, Olivia shared her extremely powerful testimony. Her story of sorrow and loss she experienced and the feeling of loneliness and abandonment. She said when she came to Northreach, she felt welcomed and she felt home. She understood the gospel message and embraced this gift of salvation, knowing it was nothing that she could do, but only through the grace of Jesus that she could be saved. No works, nothing she could do. In fact, when she walked in here this morning, I said, how are you doing, Olivia? She said, I am so happy. I'm so filled with joy. The conclusion of her testimony is this is what she said. So here I am, committing my life to God, to learn to share the beautiful story of Jesus with others. I truly feel loved, saved, and filled with unmistakable hope. I have found my way home, Lord, and I thank you for all you have done for me. I don't see that testimony in a task list. I see that testimony from the heart. She knows what it is to be saved. She knows the price that Jesus paid for her. Just as the Galatians did back in Romans 16 when Paul first shared Jesus to them, Olivia saw that her life wasn't about the work she did. It wasn't her, the work she did in her life that saved her. It was the fact that Jesus died on the cross for her. Galatians 5, 1-2 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves uh, be, be, oh my goodness, um, be burned again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, ought Paul tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. What Paul is speaking here about is freedom from the law. Back in the time of the Galatians, when he's talking about circumcision, in the Old Testament law, the Jewish people had to be, Jewish men had to be circumcised. That was the law. When Jesus came and died and saved people by grace, gave them the gift of salvation, there was no law longer in place. And the Gentiles were invited, and Gentiles mean the people that were non-Jewish. The Gentiles were invited into this space saying, you too can be saved. And there was this big thing going on, but they're not circumcised. Paul's saying there's, they're no longer under the law. They don't have to be circumcised. This is what they're talking about here. This is what they mean. If you let yourself be circumcised, you will become that slave again. Christ will have no value to you at all. If we allow ourselves to fall back into the law, if we allow ourselves to, to feel that obligation of the have-tos in our Christian walk, what is that different from being circumcised or feeling what the, Gal the, the Galatians had felt at that time? Circumcision represented the have-tos of the Christian life today. 
Galatians 5, 4 says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ who have fallen away from grace. Do we follow any rules to be right with God? Do we have to follow any rules to be right with God? No, we don't. We are justified. So I want to give you an example of this. Do we fit Sunday into our schedule? Or do we fit our schedule around Sundays? So we can come and worship God. Do we use it as a way of ticking a box that, yeah, okay, we did church this week, that's really, really good. When we come and we sit here and we worship songs, people that are here up on the stage leading us in worship, they're actually leading us in worship to God. They're not here for entertainment. So when we stand here and we're singing these songs and powerful, powerful words, are they penetrating our heart? Are we singing what they mean? Or are we just following around along with the crowd? Because this is something we have to do. When we put our hand up to serve, do we serve because we have to and that's what's expected? People are watching? Or do we refuse to serve because we just oh, can't put another thing on our to-do list? It's just really hard. Or, when it comes to serving, do you put your hand up because you're so filled with that joy? So filled with that joy that you want to use the gifts that God gave you to share Jesus with others. When we as a church are driven to serve Jesus through guilt, we focus on what we do for God. Our main goal is to get people to behave like Jesus. But if we're driven through grace, what Christ has done for us, our main goal is to depend on Jesus, not on us. Mark Broadbent puts it this way. Either we continue to be driven by guilt and shame, beating ourselves up for not being more committed, or instead we, begin, we begin to be driven by grace, Reminding ourselves that God longs to answer our prayers. That he loves, he loves. I have to, I really have to emphasize this. That he loves spending time with us. He can't wait to give good things to his children when they ask. What a good, good father. What if we begin to see prayer as the best part of our day? Rather than a chore or spending time with God, reading his word began to be something we have the incredible privilege of doing. We actually have his word to read. What if that became a privilege? What if we saw our time with God as, as irreplaceable, full of joy, what if we volunteered in church because we were excited about using our gifts? Rather than trying to fit in it in in our task sheet for the reason of looking good or fulfilling our Christian duty. If we had that joy of Jesus living in us, I actually don't think we'd have to ask for volunteers because we'd be excited about sharing Jesus. 
All right, great. Thanks, Tara. Great. Now I'm feeling horrible. Thank you very much for that. And guilty Christian, right? No. The point is not to do the things because it is by reading the Bible and praying we get to know God a whole lot more. We're not adding to our to-do list. Do you know what? The whole thing about Christianity is freedom. Christ has given us freedom. We aren't bound to to-do lists. Do you get it? We are actually free. The to-do list bounds us, binds us down. You know, you feel like you're, you have to do so much or you have to do this or you don't have to do that. Freedom, though, comes with responsibility. I can't just do anything I want in life. There are certain things that we have to do. If we did not have rules that are there, it would be anarchy. So there is a responsibility that comes to us. And one of the things that is said is we don't indulge in our own behavior to, to please ourselves. Rather, we serve one another humbly in love. This is the service for God. This is where life, where living a life in the Spirit allows us to live a Christian life and not in our own strength. You know what? We can do everything we want in our own strength. We can sit there and try and read the Bible. We can do all these tasks on this task sheet in our own strength. But when Jesus rose into heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us. We are not here by ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit. In so I say walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 16 to 7, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you have the Spirit of God working in you, if you have the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you won't be thinking about gratifying yourself. You will be in tune with Jesus. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Have you ever had that little niggle? telling you that you shouldn't do what you were doing, that little tug in the heart. The Holy Spirit consistently speaks to us. We can either listen or ignore. And if the, so I'm going to start from the beginning. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are doing what Christ has asked you to do. I began this message this morning saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Has your joy been robbed for you in your Christian life? Are you serving God with a joyous heart? Are you living a have-to Christian life of what you have to do? This week, Pastor Gary, we had staff devotions, and, and Pastor Gary was sharing on the stability of God and he said, our decline in faith isn't because God has forgotten us. 
No, it's because we have moved away from God. You see, God doesn't move. It's us who moves. God is stable. God is always there. He is the foundation. As we move into communion this morning, we have communion. Do you know, communion is one of those sacraments. We know we do communion at the first of every month. I'm going to read the scripture to you, and I want you to listen to how God sees us. Psalm 139, and I'm going to ask you, and this might be really weird, but I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes, and I want you to listen to this psalm, and I want you to take to heart what God is saying to you this morning. This is a Psalm 139 from David. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, O Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like day, for the darkness is light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know them full well. I'm just going to ask the band to come up. As we take communion this morning, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he so loved us that he gave his one and only Son, that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. And Romans 2.8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. There is nothing you and I can do this morning to earn our faith. It doesn't matter how much Bible we read. It doesn't matter how much we pray. That will not earn our salvation. That will get us closer to God. That will feed our souls. But that is not why we are saved. We are saved because Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. It is not by works. It is a gift of God. Why? 
Why is it a gift? So no one can take credit for it. No one can boast.